So a rabbi, a priest, and an alderman walk into the bar, and the bartender says, what is this, some kind of a joke? Hey, it's Seth, and this is Akimbo. We'll be back in a second to talk about the rule of three and the irreversible binomial. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Get better clients. There, in three words, is the strategy of any freelancer who wants to do better work. Get better clients. You can't work more hours, but you can work for people who appreciate the work you want to do. They will push you harder. You will do better work. They will talk about you. You will get paid more. You will be more proud of what you produce. How to get better clients. I've been thinking about this for a long time, and we have built a workshop just for you. If you work for yourself, I really think you need to check it out. It's not a bunch of videos. It's a workshop. You will work with other freelancers, working your way forward to figure out how to do this work that matters. I hope you'll take a minute to check it out. Visit akimbo.com go for all the upcoming workshops. Go make a ruckus. Even if you didn't know the name of the rule of three, you've certainly encountered it. The three stooges, the three pigs, the three musketeers. Hello! Hello! The rule of three is an effective form of writing in which we list one thing and then another thing and then a third thing. That is the motto of Superman. Fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. But not just Superman's motto. In fact, if we listen to the prelude to Superman's motto, we hear the rule of three again, again. And yes, you guessed it, again. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. Is there something magical about the rule of three? Is there something hardwired into our brains that makes triplets something that stick with us? Here's what Leonard Bernstein has to say about creating a melody. Well, the answer is repetition, either exact repetition or a slightly altered repetition within the theme itself. And it's that repetition that makes the melody stick in your mind. And it's the melodies that stick in your mind that are likely to please you the most. Popular songwriters know this, and that's why they repeat their phrases so often. Just think of that big song hit, Mac the Knife. Ba 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 repeating over and over. Well, the same technique works just as well in symphonic music. Certainly, that's what Beethoven did in his most famous triplet. <laughs>
first one statement, then a small variation of the statement to set us up, and then the final delivery. It's also the way Curly, Larry, and Mo answer the telephone. And then we can get to irreversible trinomials. And irreversible trinomial are three words that go together in an order that we couldn't reverse or move around without it sounding really weird. You go to an ear, nose, and throat doctor. You talk to friends, Romans, and countrymen. There's gold, silver, and bronze. If you're getting ready for work, you lather, rinse, and repeat. You fell for that hook, line, and sinker. You get the idea. But it would be really weird if someone said, action, camera, lights. Because we've been taught one, two, and three. Ready, set, go. And my friend Jason asked me about whether there's something that makes the rule of three work. Why is it that jokes often involve three people walking into a bar? Is that some kind of joke? Well, there could be three theories here. One theory might be, yes, it's the way our brains work. There's something universal, hardwired into us, where three things in a row somehow grooved into our brain. Another theory, the one I had originally when I started researching this podcast, is that it's a Western creation. That just as we have 4-4 music here, and they don't really have 4-4 music if you're listening to, say, tabla music in India. We perhaps have codified the three-beat rhythm into Western culture and, because we're so ethnocentric, have determined it's a rule of nature. But I have a new theory. And my new theory is there's really no such thing. That three is the number where we start noticing a pattern. That if it's just one, well, it's one. It's a thing. There's so many things that's not a pattern. It's just a thing. But what about two? Before there were irreversible trinomials, there were irreversible binomials. And there are far more of those. Fine and dandy, back and forth, above and beyond, alive and well, bangers and mash, bait and switch, macaroni and cheese, can't say cheese and macaroni, macaroni and cheese, flesh and blood, forever and a day, forever and ever, hard and fast, ham and eggs, hide, and I don't even know what that one means. Day and night, you get the idea. There's two. It happens all the time. Abbott and Costello. There's a couple. There's a pair. Suddenly, Two feels like a really stable situation. And biologically, two is sort of the way we are organized. And then there's four. And four shows up in lots of places as well. There were actually more than three Stooges and more than three Marx Brothers. Four shows up in lots of places. Just ask John, Paul, George, and Ringo. But also five. Five shows up in lots of places. So why have we fixated on three? Well, I think three is when we begin to notice that there is a pattern. 
that as a writer, I've adopted the rule of three. I often write this thing, comma, that thing, and the other thing. The rhythm feels right to me. But maybe the reason the rhythm feels right to me is because I've been using it a lot, reading it a lot, encountering it a lot. Maybe the reason we have the rule of three is that we have the rule of three, that it reminds us that something is coming, that if we start a joke with a so-and-so, a so-and-so, and a so-and-so, walk into a bar, we've announced to somebody, this is some sort of joke. Maybe when the composer offers us one thing and then a slight variation and then the dynamic conclusion, they are alerting us to the fact that they also get the joke, that they know the rule of three, that they know how to pace it and talk about it. And so I wanted to alert you to the existence of the rule of three, because maybe we're giving writers the benefit of the doubt when we encounter it. Maybe we're feeling a little off when it's not quite three, when it's almost three. But perhaps the rule of three is just completely fabricated. In a paper that I put in the show notes at akimbo.link, a bunch of researchers tried to investigate the famous rule of three for behavioral indicators with high specificity for bipolarity in patients with major depression episodes. They did a univariate analysis of 36,742 subjects and made a list of 29 markers that often appear. Things like more than three religion changes, more than three marriages, cheating on their partner regularly, having more than 60 lifetime sexual partners, pathological love, heavy cursing, speaking more than three foreign languages, having more than two apparent tattoos, circadian dysregulation, and high debt. And what they found is that 11 of these markers, if you have three of them, it's quite likely you might need professional help. Again, the rule of three. We can't get away from it. We just want to talk to you, Marshall, see if we can work something out. Can't see if we got anything to talk about, but if you want to say something, you can say it from right there. Can I come a little closer so we're not shouting like a couple of drunken hobos? I can hear you. Well, is it okay if I come a little, a little closer? Is that okay? You take one more step, I'll shoot you. That's all I'm going to say. Marshall. I want to tell you something important. For a really long time, people honestly believed there was a man in the moon because we are pattern matchers and we are pattern makers. We don't know what to do when we look at something that might be blank or random. And so we fill in the blanks. And if you look really hard at the moon, maybe you can see two eyes and perhaps that's a nose or a mouth. The rule of three, the pattern. We look for patterns. That's what we do. And for the last word, one of the great trios of all time. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We'll be back in a second with a question from a previous episode. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. 
When is it time to level up? When is it time to learn a new way to see the world, to connect with others, to lead, to engage in possibility? Akimbo is a B Corp, an independently owned and operated institution designed around learning, not education, not certificates, not grades, but learning together. It works if you do the work. I hope you'll check out what the people at Akimbo are up to. Visit akimbo.com slash go to find out about their new upcoming workshops and how it all works. Thanks. Hey, Seth, it's Maria. Hey, Seth, my name's Kyle. Greetings, Seth. This is Stephen out in Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Seth. Alicia from Charleston here. Hi, Seth. This is Anupam. Hi, this is Caitlin. Hi, Seth. Warm greetings from Curacao. Hey, Seth. My name is Nick Ryan from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Seth, this is Rex. Hey, Seth. Hi, this is Vasilis from Greece. Hi, this is Roberta Perry. My question is... And that completes my question. As you know, I do love to hear from you. If you've got a question about this or any previous episode, I hope you'll visit akimbo.link, that's A-K-I-M-B-O dot L-I-N-K, and click the appropriate button. Here we go. Hi, Seth. This is Matthew in Phoenix. I have a question for you about your recent episode about clerks and merchants. What happens if you've been a clerk for many decades, most of your career, and suddenly you're asked not to be the clerk. You're asked to think like a merchant. How do you get your brain and your modus operandi to change so you can adjust to this new system, this new template? I am struggling with this, and I would be interested in your comment. I love your show. I love your podcast, and thank you for all you do. Thank you for this. I really appreciate it. It seems to me that the answer is actually a question, more than one question, that part of what happens when you are brainwashed into being a clerk is that you are pushed to not ask difficult questions, that part of being a clerk is to simply look at what's in the inbox, look at what's on the manual, the instruction sheet, figure out how to get by, and put in hard day's work for a decent pay. That's it. That's your job. That's the deal. But implied in being a merchant is a set of questions. Who's it for? Who exactly am I working with and for right now? Who is in front of me? What do they believe? What do they want? What do they fear? What's it for? This change I am bringing to the world, what change am I seeking to make? How will I know if it's working? in the most traditional example of a merchant, because you made a sale. But for the mindset, it's how did I bring something to this person, this person I am seeking to serve, in a way that makes a change happen that is aligned with the promise that I made when I showed up for them. Who's it for and what's it for? And then we can add a few more questions. One of them is why is it like this? Curiosity not accepting as a given the status quo, the system right in front of us, but instead repeatedly asking why. If you ask why five times in a row, you will get to the heart of what the person you are seeking to serve is actually looking for. And so if we think about a traditional merchant, you know, Macy's or Wanamaker's, most of the people who work there are actually clerks, but the merchants who run the place, who innovate, who push things forward, and they're in short supply in traditional retail right now, 
because most of them have become clerks, are asking questions about why does someone buy a coat to begin with? That if you go into a store to buy shoes, the odds are you probably already own a pair of shoes. You're probably already wearing a pair of shoes. So what is it that you went in to buy? Understanding the story that someone tells themselves, being able to see their hopes and their dreams and their pains and their fears, understanding how they fit in society. This is a long list I'm sharing with you, but it all begins with questions. Asking ourselves the questions opens the door to being able to find the answers. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. I just don't think it's possible or probable in in today's world to distinguish yourself as an educational institution or as a success seeker at the level of, of information gathering or information distribution. I mean, this is the information age and you can get a great book, a great essay, a great idea anywhere, you know, and none of us can do that better than the internet, right? Um, there is no great thought leader who can outthink the internet. Like we have data. What all MBA gets right is it puts you in a context where you're part of a community that says, yeah, 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 that's good. You got access to ideas. You got access to information. That's awesome. But when are you going to show up? When are you going to face that blank page? When are you going to face the possibilities within you? When are you going to face those fears? I'm not going to let you hide. You got to show up. And that's the hardest part. And it sounds simple. It sounds very commonsensical, but it's the number one reason why we don't write that book. It's the number one reason why we don't ask that question. It's not because we don't know or we don't have the information. We don't have an environment and we don't have a support network that makes it feel like showing up is possible for me. Not just possible for the success stories I see out there, but I can show up. Consider the Alt-MBA. More than 3,000 alumni in 74 countries around the world. Find out more at altmba.com.